Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Greetings. Today is our last day in October. As, as you know, we've been celebrating uh, 500 years of the Protestant Reformation. Half the church is still celebrating out in Virginia uh, and celebrating the nailing of the 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church. Um, you know, when Martin Luther did this simple thing, he could have never known the consequences of what was going to follow this simple thing that he did. And, you know, we do simple things every day, not realizing the effect that we're going to have on the world. Um, but God will have all of his holy will. And sometimes that simple thing we do, like we learned with Athanasius, they were playing out there in the bay uh, and playing baptizing, not really realizing how that would affect his life. But everything we do has a consequence. Psalm 2, David marveled at the ignorance of the heathen about the little consequence they actually have in the world and at sometimes at our understanding, our little understanding of how big impact we do have. Daily, the heathen dare to defy the Lord in their folly and as their paltry exercises uh, against him, as if they're going to somehow bring God down. Kind of like the, the people that made the Tower of Babel. They're like, we're going to make a tower that reaches the heavens so we can get God and we can pull him down. Nothing could be sillier than that, but they believed it. David talked about this in Psalm 2 as we're called to worship when he asked the question, why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. For he that sitteth in the heavens, he's going to do what, guys? He will laugh and the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. 
You see, God had promised them this little piece of land, but here in this Psalm, David knew that what this meant is that really all of the world would one day be theirs. Thou shalt break them with the rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and perish, and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed all they who put their trust in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we love you for calling us into your house to worship your holy name. Lord, we gather together as those needing uh, forgiveness and we know that you will offer it to us. And we know also that we come hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And as your word has said, you will fill us today. Change us. As we gather together to hear your voice, change us by the hearing of those words as the world was changed when you spoke into it. Lord, let there be light in us. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. standing here for just a little bit longer as I read my text for you from Matthew chapter 16 verses 13 through 20 Matthew chapter 16 verses 13 through 20 and my sermon today is called reforming the church day by day okay and I would emphasize reforming as in to remake reforming the church day by day Matthew chapter 16 verse 13 when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answering said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Let us pray. Lord God, as we come to this portion of our service, Lord, we are all listening for your voice. Speak to us, Lord, and by your voice, change us and make us more like you. Lord, we pray that you would illuminate the word and that you would give me wisdom so that I may speak your words and not my own. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, amen. amen. Everybody say reforming the church day by day. You may be seated. During these five Lord's Day in October, we have been focusing on the Reformation as we celebrate 500 years since the day that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door at Wittenberg Church. We have learned about two great pillars of the church, Athanasius and Augustine, in weeks one and two. In week three, we talked about the greatest reformer of all. Anybody remember who the greatest reformer of all time ever was? Jesus, right? 
And last week in week four, we learned about the many moving parts of the Reformation as we talked about Johann Gutenberg, and we talked about the role that each of us play, whether we be uh, an inventor or an engineer or a distributor or a businessman, not only uh, preachers and teachers and missionaries change the world for the kingdom because we are not just talking about a spiritual kingdom, but we're talking about a kingdom that goes from spiritual to physical and God is going through it, not just to theoretically rule the world, but to literally bring his, the reign of Christ to earth as God's kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. This week, as we end our series, we're going to talk about something I hope I can burn into your hearts and minds. And I was explaining to some of the guys up here, this might be difficult to do, uh, but it's worth trying. And so I'm going to try to bring together really a picture in your mind. Okay. And uh, are you kids out there? Are you guys paying attention? Have you guys ever seen anything like this before? Yeah, it's a big piece of wood. This is a piece of poplar that was in Chad Hensley's yard down there in Tennessee somewhere just yesterday. And now it's made it all the way to Ohio in a little tiny part here. And I'll explain to you its significance as we go along here. All right. Um, what I'm going to talk to you about today is our role in history, how we reform. Okay. Something, uh, that has fallen apart or been disorganized sometimes need to be reformed. Okay. How we reform as a church and a body day by day. We're going to talk about the reform in reformation. Now, some of you might remember learning a few years ago about, this multi-billion dollar Japanese company named Sony. Has anybody ever heard of Sony? It's a really, really out of the way small company. You probably haven't heard of that. I bet you every human being, maybe even in your car and in your house, have something made by the Sony Corporation. I don't know how much they're worth and how big they are, but I was reading one article about this um, actually this morning. Uh, and they posted sales of $500 billion. That, just, just a small company, right? Um, and that was, that was just one of the years I was reading something about them. But this, this company, Sony, years ago put out a, a business plan. And some of you might have heard about it then. But their business plan was a multi-hundred-year business plan. I think it may have been as many as 500 years. Now, that's a pretty serious, a pretty ambition, ambitious business plan, right? I mean, I'm, you know, uh, that, that's really ambitious. I mean, they're thinking that in 500 years there will be a Sony. I mean, that's pretty bold by any standard, especially in a world where even billion-dollar companies get eaten for dinner uh, almost every day. Now, I read a, a book a few years ago called In Search of God and Guinness. It's the story of Arthur Guinness and the famed... Irish manufacturer of stout beer uh, in Ireland. And when we were in Ireland last year, we got to see their family castle out on the far western coast in the city of Kong. And uh, we even, when we were in uh, Dublin, we were there sitting, looking at this beautiful cathedral called St. Patrick's Cathedral. And it had something very, very odd that I hadn't seen before. And all the way reaching, you know, hundreds of feet into the sky, is the steeple of a church and the, the whole entire, all of it is stone. Because one day it was wooden and it burned. And when Arthur Guinness lived in Dublin, he said, that's never gonna happen again. And so he made an entirely stone 
uh, spire that goes all the way up to the sky. While we were there also, we tried to make it to visit a place called St. James Gate, and we, we went there, but when we got there, uh, what we went there to see was closed. Uh, we wanted to see his brewery. And um, so we went there. Now, the brewery, which was founded in 1759 in Dublin, almost 250 years ago, Mr. Guinness negotiated a lease for this property. Does anybody know about this lease? Did you, have you guys heard about this? So he works out a deal and he says, I want this lease to be the same. I never want my lease to go up. And so he negotiated 45 pounds, you know, kind of like $45-ish uh, a year for the lease of this property at St. James Gate. Now that, that's not remarkable in his day that, that much, but he wanted to secure the term of his lease for a really long time. And so he was able to get the owners of the land to lease him the land for 9,000 years. That's, <laughs> now isn't that funny? He should, on the, the, the lease, it's 45 years, 45 pounds you know, a year, and how long is this lease for? Uh, let's make it for 9,000 years. Now, that's just crazy, right? Uh, even though they, since then, uh, became the largest brewery in Ireland in 1838, and then later the largest brewery in the world in 1886, uh, putting out 1.2 million barrels, you know, since then there's even now a brewery even bigger than them. All right. Now, obviously these are just companies, but I'm trying to get your, I'm trying to get your mind on the fact that there are these great things. There are these giant things, these multi-billion dollar things, these things that are so large and so powerful and so significant seeming in our mind. But what happens to all these companies? One day, guys, those beer lovers out there may have trouble with this. So one day, there'll be no more Guinness, right? It's been there a long time, but one day there won't be. Uh, Sony could disappear next year. It could be very easily done, all right? But in their mind, they have planned a lot. As I've told you before during this time of study of the Reformation, I said history is, is not merely another way to show how smart you are to your friends uh, by knowing dates and places. If you learn history this way and you teach history this way, you'll find that they really forget all that stuff and it never really means anything to them. But it's, that's really not what it's for. History is a great teacher. Not only does it help us see the future and help us plan, but it also helps us live in the right now by helping us see how things happened in the past. As we've been trying to understand world history, we have learned a great deal about great houses. Everybody say great houses. Now, I don't mean big, beautiful estates, uh, but I mean houses, you know. Have you guys ever heard of a house called the House of Tudor? Right? So you, you've heard of this, but what does this mean? You know, they had a really big house and, and whatever. No, uh, the House of Tudor, it's a family name. And this family name uh, can last for a really long time. A family on a grand scale is known as a house. You may uh, have heard that the House of Tudor, which it actually came into play during the Reformation. Anybody know anybody in the House of Tudor? Can you think of somebody? Uh, Bloody Mary, right? Uh, Henry VIII was in the House of Tudor. Some of the guys, Queen Elizabeth I was in there. Mary was the one who did all the martyring, murdering of our, um, of our great reformers. Even the House of Windsor, you guys heard of the House of Windsor? We learned recently in a documentary that the House of Windsor is just a totally fabricated, made-up name 
because they were trying to not sound German. When, when World War II, uh, when World War I hit uh, England, nobody in England wanted to have a name that sounded German. This was really bad, right? And so the, the people who are now the House of Windsor, which is the current uh, bloodline that's in the, the royal family in England right now, uh, they had a real German name, which no one probably remembers. I don't remember. I didn't write it down. Uh, but they made up this name, the House of Windsor. They said nothing sounds more English than that. But really what they were is a bunch of Germans who were real, ruling in England. In the House of Windsor, we have Princess Diana, Prince Charles. We have the Queen Mother herself, Queen Elizabeth II. Now, Queen Elizabeth's grandmother, um, Queen, Queen, Queen Elizabeth of the House of Windsor, her mother, though, uh, her grandmother was who? Do you guys know? Queen Victoria. You guys have heard of the Victorian era, right? Now, Queen Victoria was a part of this incredible house, and her house was called the House of Hanover. And her house went on for, you know, a really long time, not as long as some of these other houses, but she was known as the grandmother of Europe. She had nine children. And her children married the rulers of countries all over the world. And, you know, when I learn history and I hear names, they don't mean as much to me. But when you can connect them into things, it's kind of, you know, gets it into my mind. And they had a time when they could, Andy, they could have a family reunion and have all the leaders of the, the known world, like, in their living room. I mean, isn't that amazing? That's absolutely incredible to me that one family could have a bunch of kids and grandchildren and their children and grandchildren are the rulers of every country in the whole world. So get together and you're all in one place and you're the rulers of the whole world. That's really what it was. That was the house of Hanover. Now in our time in Austria uh, and Hungary, we were introduced to a family that never made it into my uh, historical knowledge. It didn't make it in. I didn't learn about this when I was in, uh, in high school in the public school at Hamilton, one of the greatest schools ever, I'm sure. Uh, rated probably last in every list you can think of. But, but I never even heard of this. Have you guys ever heard of the House of the Habsburgs? You guys ever heard of these people? And the fact that you haven't heard of them really just shows that we all need to get some education, uh, including me. So, so as we begin to learn about these Habsburgs, and I will not go you know, crazy and talk about them for the next half hour or anything. But, but we ended up going to their houses and going to their palaces in, in, in Austria and Vienna and, and or Austria and in Hungary from Budapest to Vienna and all around Salzburg. And we kept running into the Habsburgs, the Habsburgs, the Habsburgs. Like, Who are these people? And so the house of Habsburg is also known as the house of Austria. And it's probably in our modern era like in the last 500 years the most incredible family in the last 500 years of the world history and i never even heard of them um, they held power for over 300 years and some could even stretch it out to 500 years but they were the kings of bohemia england germany hungary croatian ireland portugal and spain and they even produced of all things i didn't even know there was one of these maybe one of you people that know more than i do an emperor of mexico now, I didn't even know they had emperors down there, but apparently they did have emperors down there, emperors of Mexico. But these, these houses are families, you know, powerful families. But as you study them, they have a beginning and they have a what? They have it in. You can go to Wikipedia and read about the house of Hanover and it'll say, or the house of the Habsburgs, and it'll say on this day, on 1740, when this person died, the last Habsburg died. You would see that these guys were having troubles. They could not produce any male heirs at all. And so what happened? They just died. 
And so it's actually what consolidated the power of Europe into one thing is none of the people could have male children. And so they just, they kept going, you know, okay, well, wait a minute. We'll just be king of this country, this country, and this country. And the power began to consolidate and consolidate because of their lack of ability. So these families who thought they were important, you never even heard of them. They're gone. Their houses, and we walk around them uh, for museum attractions and, you know, they're pretty. But the money and the wealth and the power and the influence that they had is all gone. And now it's owned by the historical society in towns, you know that they live and they're the reason that people visit those places because the places they made were so pretty but they have no power they have no influence they have no wealth the families are they're gone now you might say pastor mark what in the world are you talking about have you lost your mind that's what i'm saying this is what we call if this were figure skating this is a triple sow cow okay you guys ready i'm getting ready to you know try to make this happen I began thinking about the human body, and as I was thinking about the human body itself, you know, I was thinking about, you know, when I do certain things, that's actually kind of what this is about. I have, I just won the last, probably the last achievement in my life of a, of a physical, I win a contest that had to do with my physical strength. And this, this is it. It's all, it's all downhill from here, I guarantee it. I won the cross-cut saw contest at the Reformation Fair. And there were a lot of competitors there. Uh, but not only did I win it once, I won it twice. Uh, on one side of the log, I won with Heath Goldsmith. And then they switched to the other side. And then uh, I, me and Chad Hensley teamed up. And we won that side. So we won. But I won both times. Can you guys say, you know, thanks be to God. <laughs> <laughs> but in the process of doing this, you know, and I even saw myself on film and I'm like, man, there's a whole lot more of you than there used to be. You're just like, you know, I'm like, wow, I'm a pretty big guy. And I need to kind of tone that down a little bit. But so I'm looking at myself and I'm, I'm, I was breathing. I was probably breathing for 15 minutes like this, you know, after I did the first thing. But while I was doing that, cells in my body were dying, you know, and, and my body was being, you know, and it made me think about this. I know this really sounds funny, but, but the, the, the cells in my body are dying. It made me think about how the cells in our body die. So I looked it up. I'm like, how long do the cells in my body live? And as I begin to look about it, I discovered something that's really mind boggling that really maybe you haven't really heard. Now, do you know, Christina, that when I met you, you were an entirely different person. In fact, you have been at least three different people. All of the cells in your body die and they get replaced by new cells. But you're still here. Isn't this amazing? You're, you're here. And it appears that you're here, but is she, is she still her? Now, Tim, you know, so she's a whole different person. Tim's a whole different person times one, times two, times three. I don't know the exact time someone said every seven years, the entire human body gets replaced, but that's not, that's not actually true. It actually happens sooner than that. The New York Public Library Science De Desk Reference says there are between 50 and 75 trillion cells in the human body. Each type of cell, though, has its own lifespan. And when, when a human dies, sometimes that person's cells actually live on for quite a while. And that's actually where forensic science comes in. That's how they can nail down the exact time that a person dies. Forensic investors, investigators take advantage of this quite often. Red blood cells live for about four months. The cells that you know, are in your blood that are transporting food and water and oxygen to all the rest of your body. They only live for four months. 
So how many of those have you had? Trillions of these, right? White blood cells live on average more than a year. They live a little bit longer. And, but if they encounter a disease, they instantly die. The, the way that a white blood cell works is, and that's why you guys get fevers and sore throats. Do you kids know this? Has your mom and dad taught you this stuff? You guys ever wonder why you get a sore throat? Why you get a fever? Your body heats up the temperature to make your blood thinner so your white blood cells can run faster and go get the bad guys because they need faster roads. They, they, they crank up their speed, right? So fever's not a bad thing. It actually is a good thing. So your throat gets sore because these white blood cells, they get on the end and your throat and they're jumping off and they're going out there and they're, they're fighting. And when they see a bad guy in your body, they wrap their body around it and then they die killing it. And then they're gone. They've served their purpose. That's what happens inside your body. So these cells are living and they're dying. But if a white blood cell doesn't encounter a bad guy, it will only live a year and then it's gone. Uh, colon cells, they have it rough. They die off only after four days. Can you imagine your entire intestines get replaced every four days? You go, that's not possible. It is possible. It's crazy. And it's true. Every four days, the cells in your colon are completely reproduced. And we're always wanting to cleanse it and clean it and whatever. We're getting a whole new one every four days. I mean, what's the deal? <laughs> I don't know how that works with the bubble gum that's in there for 75 years or whatever, but... That's how it works. Brain cells, though, the cells that are in your brain that don't die, uh, never die. They live throughout the, from the time you're born to the time you're dead. The, the, that the way your memories stay in there and the personality and all that you are is right in there. Obviously, we know there's more to a body. There's, we have a soul and a spirit. But the brain cells stay the same. Now, when I was reading our text and I was thinking about the body of Christ, some of us don't understand how this works, you know? We see ourselves as individuals and we see ourselves in the world as either part of a family or maybe we want to build a company or we, I'm an American and we think of ourselves in terms of our nation or our family, the great house that we're a part of or uh, the company or the business that we do. And all of these things are so transitory, they're so temporal. And I was thinking if the church could get to where they understand that we are a part of something that is eternal and permanent, that we would begin to do what Christ says that we're supposed to do. We're to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? That's what we should do. We're to pray, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, there is a kingdom in the world that will not end, and it's the kingdom of Christ. The Austrians, I mean, who even, when you think of world power, do you think of the Austrians anymore? You just think it's where Arnold Schwarzenegger comes from. That's all you think of, right? What do they even do there? Do they have an army? Do they have planes? Do, could they do anything? I, you know, we've been there. I don't know. But they come and they go. The Roman Empire doesn't exist. The Habsburgs had for 300 years Roman emperors coming out of their family and kings of England. But now who are they? They're nobody. But we are a part of something much greater, much more, something more, uh, you know, that is not transitory, that is living in time. We are like the individual cells of a body, which is what? The body of Christ. And we play what seems to be an insignificant role, but it's not. We play an important role, but our role is not as large as you might think it is. We, our role is small and we will come and we will go, and we will live and we will die. But in the end, when Christ saves the world, he's going to do it through what? Through his body. So what should we be spending our time thinking of? 
working toward and building on something that's not going to last or something that will. What should we do? Anybody? We want to build something. Like, isn't that what we, Andy was reading for us from First Corinthians? He said, you know, you can build a lot of things. But you need to pay attention to what you're building. You know, Sarah, what are you building your life on? Are you building it on one of those things that's just going to go away? You know, of course, just old buildings you're talking about. They're definitely going to go away. Right? Our text says this. He says, he was explaining to Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And people see... One of the things that I think that is my calling as a pastor, and certainly my calling as the shepherd of this church, is to help you understand that the church isn't something you go to on the Lord's Day and you get together and it's just nice people to help your life to be nicer, that it is our entrance into the body of Christ. You might wonder, why did, you know, why does Mark go to California? Or why does Mark go visit the church in, in uh, South Carolina? Or what, what is this, what, what, is, what is he, what, I don't understand this. Why are you involved in helping people here and doing this? We have a role and a responsibility in the broad body of Christ that, that basically says that, you know, what in the world, why would we go to Myanmar? Well, because Christ is working in Myanmar. That's why. And because uh, nourishment from the body needs to go there. You see, when they're cut off, Tim, and they don't have encouragement and they don't have the, the needs that they have, then what are they going to do? They're going to die. And so what do we got to do? We got to put out a vein, a capillary to feed them, to give them nourishment and to help them. That's what it is. When, when uh, Pastor Lawrence goes to Iceland, what he knows is, you know, it's pretty there, the land of fire and ice and volcanoes and, you know, it's supposed to be one of the most beautiful places on earth. And you may go, well, you know, he's just on vacation. He might be. But at the same time, while he's on vacation, you know, I did not understand the impact of my presence in Myanmar, I, the first time I went, that when I was going to go back again, I called Pastor Dang. I'm like, I can't even imagine raising the money to come back. Wouldn't you rather just have the money? What did he say? No, I want you. Now, in my mind, I'm like, well, what do I have? I don't have anything to bring him. I don't, you know, it's not, I mean, I, I could bring a little money. I could bring some gifts. I could do whatever. But what I begin to understand is that for him to be a part of the body of Christ and for, for me to get the nourishment that flows from him, there has to be contact and there has to be relationship. And what happens is, is our church is enriched by them and we enrich them by just being there. You know, it, Jeff was like, would it really make, you know, is it really that, is it really going to do anything? Yes. If your red blood cells don't go out here, you know what eventually your hand turns black and then it falls off. It's got to have nourishment. It's got to have encouragement. The, 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 the church, the Bible teaches us that we are, we are put together by God and that we each supply something the other one needs. You may not need, even know what it is. You might think you do. I was with the Murphys and, you know, our relationship, it's not just about we want to go down there because one day we're hoping our children will have nice people to marry. There are a bunch of people right here. But there is something about connecting the body of Christ to where it all flows together. You know, I got to sit with Steve and, and uh, a few months ago and really talk about some difficult things I was dealing with personally. And, you know, he had absolutely nothing wise to say. Andy, can you, can you believe that, that Steve had nothing wise to say? But, but just performing the function of talking, sometimes you can hear yourself and you can start thinking about it and you can come to a solution. Now, that may seem like something that really isn't that important. Someone, so you're not sitting there talking to yourself, you're talking, but you're hearing it yourself. 
That's a function, you know? Being with someone and, and loving on them and being kind to them and being caring and listening to them talk about what's going on in their life and in their church. Lawrence is telling me about his philosophy of ministry that is, you know, he's wanting to share with his people that's being changed. He's telling me about things in their church that, that they have seen over the years. And so there, as a shepherd, I'm going, what can I learn from what they're doing? You know, Kevin Swanson was at Matt Clark's house over the weekend on the way to the National Center for Family Integrated Churches. And, and they're there and they're exchanging and, and they're learning and they're growing. And this is what God has called us to do. When we go to your house to fellowship or when we sit around the meal, our goal, we should be fellowshipping in a purposeful way. And some of the purpose we'll never even know. Sometimes it's just being a friend. I mean, how many people just need a friend? Someone you like to be around. You know, life is filled with stress. You know? They say, you know, you know the Surgeon General says smoking will kill you, right? But you know what the Surgeon General also says? It says, if you smoke a pipe, though, you'll live longer than if you don't smoke one. Did you guys know this? Why is this? And I'm not recommending all of you ladies to get a pipe and men too and just let's all, let's all just smoke pipes and go crazy because Benita's probably allergic, right? Something like that. But the fun, or, or someone who has a dog, you know, they live longer. Why? Dogs relieve stress. A pipe relieves stress. A friend is, is someone you can unburden yourself with. Christ is always talking about this. Lay your cares on me. Well, how do you lay your cares on Christ? but bringing them to a friend, you know? My wife is not a big phone talker. She, in fact, she talks on the phone to nobody, hardly. Uh, but there are a couple of people she talks to. And she's, she's on the phone with them, and I'm here talking, and I'm watching her. It's, it's almost like I can see her gas tank just getting filled up. Like, in, something I, I'm, I'm not able to do, you know? Not that I don't help in that same way, but... But there are people God put in our life that we need, and we don't even necessarily know why we need them, but being near them. Jesus is building a church, and the little parts that we play and the way that we interact with each other do incredible things, even though they may not seem that incredible. 1 Corinthians 3 says, We are his laborers together with God. We are God's building. Everybody say, We're God's building. Then it says we're a temple, we're God's temple. Everybody say we're God's temple. All right, we learned about the body, but who, whose are we? We're the body of Christ. As they begin to see, we're, there's nations in the world, but what are we? We are a holy nation. We're no more uh, strangers and foreigners, but we're fellow citizens with the saints and with the household of God. So in every analogy, we're a part of a body, but not just this body, the body of Christ. We're a part of a family, but not just any family. We're a part of the family of God. We're a part of a building that we're building up, the lively stones of that building. But it's not just a building. It's the building, which is the holy temple of the worship of our God. He says this, if any man build upon a foundation of gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hair, stubble, every man's work shall be manifest for the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and fire shall try every man's work, what sort it should be. If any man's work abide, everybody say abide, abide. what he has built upon, he shall receive a reward. How many want to spend your life building on something that isn't going to matter, 
isn't going to last, isn't going to endure. Or if you're going to do something, you want to build on something that's going to be there. I want to be. The Bible says, you know, our affections can go to uh, breaking out of banking or it can go to the Cusel dynasty. Our affections can go. But where, what are those things? And I'm not saying you don't spend your time on that. But, but when your life is centered around those things, in the end, what have you built? But something that one day won't be there when Andy's not there to break into banking or break out of banking or do any kind of breaking of banking. Right? You know, fruitful family farms or foundation farms. Our farms are just farms, you know. But God says where is field. Right? And he's producing fruit in that field. He's producing a building that's going to last. There is a body that's going to be around. You know, we might, sometimes I think, you know, what do I have to add? I'm getting old. You know, one day, one day they're going to throw me out of this joint. But this is my role. Sometimes we can aggrandize ourselves to, we want to be the, the great whatever. And really, there is a great one, and it is Christ. And we lose ourselves in it. Any man's work shall be burned. He will suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Know you not that you are the temples of God. The spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. You know, we should be working for the peace and the purity of our church and the longevity of our church. You know, there's a building in downtown Mount Sterling I told you about. There's no one that goes to that church, but somebody years ago thought about it. And, and so they put the church in their will. And so now, when the church is at a completely different time, they've got, you know, a bazillion dollar pipe organ in there or whatever. And a hundred years after they're dead, the heat will be on in there and take care of that thing. Now, this is a little backwards in their thinking, but, but what are we doing to think about the future of the church? Is the church in our will? Are we thinking about it? Are we thinking about our family? What are we thinking about? How, are we thinking about our role in making the church helping the church along its mission into an eternal mission of God. All in with this little thing, it says this verse, in verse 21 of this same passage that Andy read for us today. It says, Therefore let no man glory in men, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life or death. He's saying whether it's a kingdom, whether it's a company, whether it's a nation. I mean, I'm an American and that's fantastic, but one day America just won't be here. You know? You know, people are proud now with Ancestry.com even more than ever, you know, of their lineage. They're getting tested. They're proud. They're wearing clothes. They're living their lives thinking, I'm Irish, you know, I'm Polish, I'm German or whatever it is. But he said, you're Christ and Christ is God's. We are prone to want to be great, to build a family line with no end through fame to live forever through our efforts and build a tower through enterprise that will reach the heavens but the church is the only family whose line will have no end we shall declare the generation of the lord right isn't they asked the question in isaiah 53 who shall declare his generation everybody say i will i will the church is the only nation that will abide the fire of God's judgment. All others are wood, hay, and stubble. We are a royal priesthood. Everybody say it with me. A holy nation. Strangers and foreigners, but now fellow citizens with the saints and with the household of God. Hebrews 12 says, Wherefore, we are seeing, we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us. 
and run the race with patience that is set before us. You see, as we run our race, we can look at what the long-term effect of it will be on the church. He says in verse 18 of this same chapter of Hebrews, we are not come to a mount that might be touched, burned with fire and blackness, darkness and tempest, but we are come to Mount Zion unto the city of a living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Isn't that what we want to be, guys? The judge of all men made perfect, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Constant reforming. Our body is losing things. It's gaining things. Those cells are dying. All of that's happening, but the body is being reformed. To me, to, if I could get this in your mind, that there is a literal body of Christ at work in the world, and, we, and the people of God come and go from it like the cells of the body, but it lives on, and it will conquer the world until all Christ's enemies be put under his feet. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we see this role that we have. Help it to center us in our thinking, Lord, that we would be kingdom-minded and not self-focused, Lord, that we would see the great work that, that you do and we play the small part while we are here in it, whether we be like a, a red blood cell or a, cell, a white blood cell or whatever cell in the body. We come and we go and we do our part. We nourish, we strengthen, we love we sacrifice ourselves as the white blood cells. We, we wrap ourselves around those things within the church that come to bring destruction. And even if that takes us out, it is the role that we will play gladly, dear Lord, as we fight to preserve your kingdom as it comes and your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.